does it think? What makes it move? Why does it breathe? Questions anyone would ask about a man if they'd never seen one before. So for five days, a man was borrowed. The story that Travis Walton and five other witnesses told was so unbelievable, so unimaginable, that it has become the most famous case of UFO abduction ever reported. Okay, welcome to Lupine Transmissions, the podcast where we talk about all things strange, dark, and unusual. And today, as you might have seen if you've downloaded the episode, we're going to be talking about Fire in the Sky in the Travis Walton case. Um, and uh, to, to help talk about that, I've got two special guests with me today. I've got uh, Blake, who you might remember from the King Diamond episode recently, and um, also Jess. Uh, so, guys, do you want to introduce yourselves and explain your connection and uh, why we're talking about this movie today, I guess? Well, I'm Blake. Uh, as far as the other questions, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking about in this movie. Uh, it, it, it was entertaining, uh, and maybe uh, I'm excited to get more into the, the backstory of it, but... Yeah, hi, I'm Blake. You might remember me from the uh, King Diamond episode. And I am Jessica. Uh, I have a podcast. Um, maybe you've listened to it. Maybe you haven't. It's called Are You There Pod. And it focuses mainly on uh, teen books from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Sometimes we throw some V.C. Andrews in there just for fun. Um, but my connection to this movie is I was... Uh, Basically, a conversation came up in our uh, podcast network's Discord about it. Uh, I mentioned that I was traumatized by the trailer and had never seen the movie, and my husband, Blake, made me watch the movie, and Blake. I overcame my fear, <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, I'm, and I'm so glad she finally, after all those years, overcame it. Mm -hmm. My actual background with the movie is is not much at all. I When I was a kid, I guess it came out in 93, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, ninety three. I, I yeah. didn't actually know of its existence. I never saw this trailer that horrified Jessica, um, so I was you know blissfully unaware of it until uh, my twenties. At some point, like I used to live with and hang around with people who got high all the time, and, and if, <laughs> if you do that, they're bound to bring up, uh, "Hey, you should watch this movie, uh, Fire in the Sky." It's <laughs> totally. Um, Oh, what did the kids say? It's far out, far out, man. They're the two big stoner movies, aren't they? Like Fight Club and Fire in the Sky. Like, <laughs> yeah. Days to Confuse, and Fire in the Sky. Those are stoner classics. Yeah. Pretty much. Holy Mountain, uh, Any Yodorowsky. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pretty much all that. I've got to say, I've, I've got a Blu-ray of um, Holy Mountain, and I will eventually watch the whole thing, but the first time I watched it, it or tried to watch it, I should say, I did kind of have to tap out around the ass washing scene. Um, and I was like, I, 
it's Saturday morning. It's not even nine <laughs> o'clock yet. I, I can't. I can't cope with this. So, I, um, but <laughs> I, <laughs> maybe that'll I be actually a haven't watched. I, ha- I have not watched it front to back. Um, I've uh, the you, said, you haven't uh, watched. Sorry, you haven't watched it front to <laughs> sorry, back. You, al- you always wash front to back, but I haven't watched it uh, top to bottom. Uh, my <laughs> my stoned friends um, from earlier they would they had it on in the background a lot, and so I have seen uh, you know bits and pieces. Mm, mm. Uh, but you should talk to my uh, my bandmate Logan, who I believe collects Yoder- <laughs> rare uh, vintage Yodorowski Blu-rays. Ah, oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe, maybe I'll have him on to talk about Holy. Did Mouth you say vintage Blu-rays? Watching. Yeah, vintage, uh, vintage. <laughs> okay, just making sure. Vintage MPEG. <laughs> okay. Movies. Vintage, vintage Blu-rays from all the way back in 2010. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um. So my connection is pretty tenuous as well, too. But um, as some of you who know me in real life or online or have just sort of picked up from the general tone of this podcast, uh, I used to read a shitload of books about UFOs as a kid. And so when you do that, like fire in the sky comes onto your radar at some point. But I hadn't actually seen it until a few weeks ago because it's been very difficult to come by in Australia. It's not on any streaming services or anything. But Hmm. last December, it just got a nice reissue from a company that escapes me right now. But anyway, it's out on Blu-ray for the first time. So my wife and I sat down. It's a and, thing uh, on this show now. You now legally just have to say it that way, I guess. It, uh, I think I think it should be for everywhere, actually. Yeah. <laughs> We've been living in this hell from, since like 2006. It's crazy. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. Um, yeah, I was, I was rightfully called out. Um, but yeah, so we sat down and watched it the other evening and um, – yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, could it be a little bit shorter? Absolutely. Um, yes. Could there be more horrifying alien stuff? Uh, absolutely. Totally. Yes, as well. yes, yes. <laughs> that trailer, misleading. It was. Yeah, so Jess, tell us a, b- a bit about your experience with this trailer and how it <laughs> kind of horrified you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was a latchkey kid uh, and pretty much stayed at home alone all the time and I would do nothing but watch MTV and I remember this trailer would come on at every commercial break and scare the bejesus out of me. <laughs> every commercial break they were doing this one? <laughs> yeah, basically it, I it no, feels TV like it. Or cable? MTV cable. MTV. Oh, yes. of course MTV mm-hmm. catering to the stoner crowd. <laughs> Uh, yes. In between tra- showing the trailer for Holy Mountain as well. Uh, yes. Oh yeah. The uh, it would the trailer. cut from it would cut from an Ace of Base video directly to the Fire in the Sky trailer. <laughs> and <laughs> the terrifying. Solo trailer. Uh, but yeah. So, so I don't know if you can. I mean, you can easily find the trailer on YouTube to watch, and I I did right before we started recording i rewatched the trailer i guess i haven't seen it and it <laughs> it starts i mean if tom can find audio that yeah be great. I'll, I'll, I'll find some audio and splice it in here yeah yeah but it it starts with like the the movie guy's voice you know that deep 
Oh, so this was back when they still had voiceover narration yes, and trailers. and trailers. And that, the Over famous one guy. one magical summer. Yes. <laughs> the, guy, the guy who has now passed away, and I forgot his name, but he did all the. And it starts with, it's a shot of like a, like a human anatomy type figure, but it's like glowing. It's like new agey looking like. Like like a tool album art, maybe, <laughs> and uh, or, or may, maybe a pure moods commercial or something. May, <laughs> maybe same era, Ooh, yeah. same era, oh, yeah. probably right. Um, yeah. But it starts with this voiceover, and it's like, how does it think? What makes it move? Why does it breathe? And it goes Ooh. on to, uh, and it's slowly zooming out, you know, of this figure, and it goes on to say. Um, you know, that's what people, aliens, would think if they had just discovered humanity. You know, they would want to know. And so for five days, a man was borrowed. <laughs> and then it goes right into basically the whole experimental scene. How could they do that? In the movie. Give away all the A lot the of best good cuttings. <laughs> yeah. Like they're, they're spoiling it all. Just with the trailer. They were terrifying an 11-year-old girl is what they were doing. And (laughs) (laughs) this was the same era that I was hanging out with uh, a girl named Crystal who lived out – she was rural, lived out in the country. And when I would stay the night with her, she would always tell me stories about how um, neighbors had found – dead cows that were cut open and mutilated it cattle. was either by aliens or satanists no one was sure so i figured aliens sounded more probable and so the trailer tied in with my rural friend and her theories on cow mutilation uh it was just a horrifying experience and i avoided this movie successfully for almost 30 years I just want to say, like, Crystal sounds cool as hell. Like, <laughs> you, you, you keep in touch because she, she'd be a good one to have on the podcast at some point, too, I think. <laughs> you know, I'll try to get a hold of her and we'll see. We'll see if we'll yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she sounds she, yeah, she, She'll probably say something like, oh, I was just making all that stuff up. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> it was all just a, yeah. all just a total work. <laughs> For sure. Um, so, um, before we get into the movie, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about kind of the 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 history of UFO abductions and the cultural context around Travis's case, and um, also also the movie and how that varied a little bit from era to era. But before we get into that, what's everyone drinking? Uh, I can't believe I hadn't mentioned this earlier. <laughs> I'm literally drinking uh, the same thing I was drinking on the other episode I was on, which is a, <laughs> a can of of Jim Beam's uh, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey and Cola. Uh, nice. 5%, 5% alcohol by volume. So it's a pretty mild can of whiskey and cola that I, I drink a lot. And I am enjoying a uh, vodka martini extra dirty, which is setting a fire in my tummy. So <laughs> Fire yeah. in, my, in my tummy yeah. is the, uh, that's the sequel. <laughs> and uh, I'm drinking a Delirium Nocturnum, um, which is a strong Belgian dark beer. Um, that one's cheeky 8.5%. So let's see how we go with this episode as I, uh, as I work my way through that. So. Delirium um, Nocturnum sounds very like on brand for what we're discussing. I feel like, you know, I hadn't even thought about it, but I guess, uh, I guess it kind of does, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so 
the the Travis Walton story basically now fire in the sky for those who don't know is allegedly um and uh, based on a uh, true story um now people have questions about that for reasons we'll get to later but the, essentially the the sort of summary of his case is that he was a guy from Arizona who was working as a logger um and he disappeared for five days and claimed that he'd been abducted by aliens his co-workers at the time claimed they'd seen a UFO as well so there, there was kind of group corroboration which was sort of interesting at the time because a lot of these things tend to get reported as just i woke up with like um strange markings on my body it must have been aliens that kind of thing so yeah. um but uh so but the the sort of pop culture context of this like this allegedly happened in the 70s and the movie came out in the 1990 in 1993 and um in between the case actually happening versus uh the you know the movie being made these sort of events tended to be seen in very different lights so so you you were, the the history of like modern UFOs goes back to the 1940s. There was a pilot named Kenneth Arnold who claimed he'd seen some unidentified flying objects that were eventually misreported as quote unquote flying saucers. Um, and then in the 50s, you had the contactee movement. People naturally enough started wondering, well, if there's these UFOs visiting Earth, uh, who might be inside them? And you had these eccentrics like. George Adamski and the Mitchell sisters claiming to be in contact with outer space visitors. Um, They're very often human looking and you can probably see some parallels with like the spiritualism movement from the Victorian era where people were claiming they were psychic and could contact the dead and things like that. And we've seen bits and pieces of that today with, you know, dickheads like John Edwards and that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, this is, this is, we're, we're strong, john edwards disrespecters oh yeah so yeah (laughs) um so i'm gonna date myself a little bit here and quote from an article i wrote for we are the mutants back in 2019 um more than half a century removed from this wave of contactees it's tempting to see their stories of lampshade shaped ufos and handsome spacemen and space women simply as a narrative vehicle to communicate semi-progressive political values and anti-nuclear sentiments. Like any effective new religious or social movements, the contactees were able to leverage this zeitgeist, addressing the contemporary concerns of potential adherence and using it to spread a more palatable image. Um, so after after that, Carl Jung wrote an essay about them in 1957 called Flying Saucers, a modern myth of things seen in the sky. And he kind of viewed them uh, as sort of sci- a psychological phenomenon rather than real physical objects. You know, um, the products of the same kind of cultural urges or personal urges that produce, say, religious visions or stories of fairies. Um, he didn't go into kind of ancient aliens territory that, that would sort of come later, but he did see it as kind of just a modern reflection of a very old thing but with that said this this is a bit out of sync with how pop culture tended to depict them at the time Uh, i think all three of us have seen like our share of stuff like plan nine from outer space where you had like hostile alien invasion and the real alien is communism and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but the the abduction sort of comes a bit later like the 60s really kicked that off uh with betty and barney hill in 1961. now they're an interracial couple who claimed to have been abducted and lost two hours in the process it's a much longer story that's one that would be interesting to do an episode on in the future um and it's certainly not the first case like that but it's arguably the big one that shifted the perception away from the idea of friendly space brothers in the public's eyes 
Uh, and of course, later that decade, you'd also get Eric von Daniken published chari publishing Chariots of the Gods, uh, which essentially popularized the, the sort of stuff that we see with ancient aliens now with that Giorgio Sulkius guy who's like, aliens. And <laughs> so, <laughs> aliens meme guy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's inter intellectually interesting as an idea. Like if, if aliens exist, had they visited us in the past? Um, that's that's a fair enough question. Like, there's some obviously some built-in assumptions there, um, but there's also a lot of factual errors and just outright racist stuff in his book. Um, but hmm. so by the time we and and again, that's that's a much larger conversation. Um, yeah. The, the, yeah, yeah. So so we'll just leave it at that for today. But by the time we get to the seventies, UFOs and the idea of abduction is is pretty well ingrained into the pop culture. Um, you've got a lot of books in circulation, and with and not just from kind of fringe publishers. You had groups like Time Life and Osborne and uh, Reader's Digest publishing books on this stuff. Um, you had documentaries being made. You had TV shows like In Search of with Leonard Nimoy that touched on this kind of thing. And um, there'd been a bit of shift away from the idea that aliens were inherently friendly, though funnily enough, the pop culture pushed back a bit in that direction uh, with stuff like Close Encounters of the Third Kind and then E.T. in the 80s. So Travis Walton, to, to jump back to the movie, um, Travis Walton was allegedly abducted in 1975, and, and maybe that's where we'll, we'll kick off uh, the, the talk about the movie. Uh, so... Uh, first impressions, guys. So. Doesn't I believe there? There's a, a text at the beginning beginning that says uh, these events really took place, or something that just definitively says this is true. <laughs> We're not speculating here. We're not saying maybe it happened. We're saying these these are are facts, people. If you dare fucking argue with this movie, <laughs> yeah, uh, you're but, in for a world of pain. <laughs> Uh, no, what were your initial, I, I could give you my initial impressions, but I want to hear what Jess thought first, maybe. Me? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was. It, uh, to me, it was like a, it's hard to explain, I don't know, more of a mystery type film i guess i'm trying to think suspense or something of that genre because you i mean i saw the trailer so i knew what it was about but let's say you went at this yeah, completely suspense. blind right mm, 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 mm. it starts out with the uh the beginning of the day wait no it starts out with them racing home right in the pickup truck the loggers who were working together Yes. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, it yes. does. Yeah, yeah. So you you don't know what they're running oh, from. They, they go to well, they go to the bar. Yes. And they're all shook. They're all shaken up. Yes. And you don't know what they're why they are so shook up or what they were speeding away from. Um, obviously, I knew aliens because. Yeah, I mean aliens. Aliens, yeah. but yeah. going to this completely blind, I don't know. It was just more like it was a suspenseful. Uh, type thing. It was very 90s in its construction, I feel. I don't oh, know how other massively. else to describe it. It is like yeah. a perfect 90s artifact. And it looked like it could take place in 1993 d despite, I guess maybe in rural America I'm allowed to say this as someone from rural America. True. Uh, 1975 <laughs> and 1993 don't always uh, look uh, any Very any different. different. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. 
to to me, I was quite surprised when um, I always assumed it was a made for TV movie, and that's part of the reason it, I'd had such a hard time getting feel. hold of it. I, I think uh, I was thinking about this as I was kind of writing up notes on it, and I, I was surprised that it had a theatrical release. Not because it's poorly made or anything, but just every, pretty much every movie between, made between like 1988 and 1995, with the exception of Jurassic Park, looks like it was made for TV. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, yeah the, you there's like look at um terminator 2 judgment day that came out the year before or two years before fire in yes, the sky yes actually that's had, a fair point yeah had like yeah. a thousand times the budget of fire in the sky and and the way it looks holds up today also had robert patrick yeah. from so, yeah. fire yeah, in yeah. the sky yeah the 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 main or one of the main characters of fire in the sky of course robert patrick the, the t1000 played mike rogers yeah so Coming off uh, T2, he, he goes straight to this thing that looks like it could have been from, <laughs> from a, yeah, a TV movie to from the fair, 70s. To be fair, it didn't have the James Cameron budget. So Yeah, that's what I'm saying. On on the Blu-ray, there's a little bonus, maybe five-minute interview with Robert Patrick that's um, all just been done over the phone. And, <laughs> uh, and, it, and it was done sometime in 2020, so I assume maybe that's why it wasn't oh, filmed because wow. the, the pandemic and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it, it is interesting because he's very eager to not trash talk the movie, but you can tell he's not that enthused by it either. <laughs> like he, he's just yeah. sort of saying, well, after T2, you know, I was getting recognized sort of in public and I'd grown a beard and grown my hair long and I, I kind of needed to do a role that took me out of the the you know, the T-1000. So, you know, Fire in the Sky came onto my desk and um, it sure was a movie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, no more no more future robots, just aliens for me from now yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, um, it, it's a, uh, my overall impression, uh, I mean, it, it was entertaining enough, but it was kind of a... Um, maybe a, a mediocre movie with with eight or ten really good minutes uh, right near mm. the end, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we can get yeah. into the details of that. But that's mostly what I thought of it. It's kind of I'm sure that everybody has the same take, obviously, on this movie, <laughs> yeah. or I assume so. But it's like I wish I I want a movie that's ninety minutes that are, of just that stuff. The good stuff. Blake wants a 90-minute movie of just alien experimentation on yeah, humans. T- torture yeah. on D.B. Sweeney. Oh, poor D.B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, poor D.B. He, he was good, too. I don't think I've really seen him in very much else, but he was very no. good in this, I have to say. like the, As a uh, young Jess girl. Jess is putting her hand up. Yeah. <laughs> As a young girl, I there was a movie called A Romantic Comedy called The Cutting Edge, and it might have been like his mm-hmm. break. I think it came out right before this, maybe. Or around the same time, um, but I would watch it all the time. It was on Showtime, and I loved it. And I remember when I saw the trailer for the movie, I was like, "Oh, DB! Oh no! Oh no!" <laughs> like it was like, "What are they doing to you, DB?" <laughs> I don't like it. Don't like it at all. Maybe you should. I don't know. Maybe you could pretend that Fire in the Sky is like an unofficial sequel to it, or something like that. That's, that's the story, <laughs> but there's no Moira the Kelly. I can't do that. <laughs> So. <laughs> but it didn't work out with more, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, so. Do you, yeah, so I think one of its big shortcomings is uh, obviously you can see where they put the money in into the yeah. special effects with the aliens at the end. But um, 
I think its big shortcoming is that it plays like a whodunit, but straight away the audience knows that it's, you know, that it actually was aliens and so on, instead of maybe, I think a better scriptwriter or a better director might have framed it in terms of um, having that ambiguity until the very end. Kind right. Of It'd yeah. be that much more shocking. Like, it, it still was a bit shocking uh, to, to oh, see absolutely. that yeah. shift <laughs> to a completely different kind of movie after, uh, you know, 70 minutes of this... this small dra- town drama. Small mm-hmm. town, d- draggy, yeah. James Garner poking his head around everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And it's a total shock to the senses, and, and, and that works, but I'd rather just watch a movie about those uh, those puppets. They were well done. Yeah. Well, well, that's that's kind of it, and so um, I, I guess there. So um, one thing I did like about it is I did think it was very well shot, and I actually think Stranger Things stole its color palette from this movie. <laughs> actually, yeah, they stole yeah. a lot of color palettes. They stole a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's that's fair. Like, I'm not saying it's the only thing they stole from. <laughs> <laughs> it's got it's, um, it's very very dusty. I mean, it's rural Arizona, n- northern half, so there are trees instead of desert. But uh, Yeah, well, I was going to say, see, not having been to Arizona myself, like I've been to a few places in the U.S., but not Arizona. But I always think of Arizona as just desert, I have to say. He, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I lived there for seven months, and it was in the, the valley where Phoenix is, and that's just a total desert where you're surrounded by mountains. Yeah, because um, well, I've then... seen. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, I was just going to say I've seen Phoenix in various TV shows and so on. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, yeah, B- yeah, big yeah. city in 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 the desert. There is a river, um, but the nor the upper part, the more northern half of Arizona has a lot is known as being like very beautiful and forested and uh, has a lot of uh, cool things to see. The the desert has cool things to see as well, but. Overall, I can't really recommend it as a state. <laughs> but um, Blake, Blake's take. Yeah, yeah, my hot take. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to have to interrupt you with a little ASMR as I uh, crack another beer. Uh, please do. Do it. There we go. And uh, this time... <laughs> ASMR falling spoons and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this time I've got a uh, Shimei Blue. Uh, so just... Uh, this uh, this another guy's going nice, through them. Another nice, spicy, strong Belgian. So uh, let's just hear, hear some of that pour in there, too, for those of you drinking all at home. Uh, <laughs> yeah, keep keep up with us. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pick up the pace. We, we, we both thought the, the town of – the Snowflake, of course, is a real – I was just Google, Google mapping it. It's a town called Snowflake, Arizona, which I think is a funny name for uh, a town. It's, it's, Especially these days, too. Oh, like, you know. <laughs> I was dying as soon as I realized that the town was called Snowflake. Because I, I think there was a headline on a newspaper that was like missing Snowflake Man or something. And yeah. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? They, they were just saying that he was a real wuss. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to, I honestly don't know if it ever does snow there. It might because it's the northern half of Arizona and, and it's not the desert. <laughs> so maybe they do get snowfall. Maybe it's one of those ironic names like Truth or Consequences in Texas or something like that. Like, <laughs> um, right. So, so we'll, we'll talk a little before we get to the aliens. We'll talk about the real Travis a little bit first of it, first of all. So, um, 
<clears throat> so, um, Travis essentially claims to have uh, been abducted. His co-workers backed him on this, claiming they'd seen a UFO and, and he'd run off chasing after it. And then he essentially disappeared for about five days. Um, and I'll, I'll read out this little summary I found of it. <clears throat> Here's some more ASMR as I flick through the ah. book. I've got this in. Um, so the most succinct explanation of this case I found was in um, this old book I have called Alien Encounters, which was published by Time Life back in 1992, so before the movie came out. So, nice. Yeah, here, here we go. So <clears throat> more than any other abduction claim made up to that time, a 1975 incident in Arizona at first glance seemed to offer objectively verified proof of the reality of the abduction phenomenon. A logger by the name of Travis Walton was said to have been assaulted by a beam from a spaceship while no fewer than six fellow members of his work crew witnessed the event. So here there's there's a there are a few more people in real life than in the movie, but obviously they've streamlined it a bit because, you know, you don't have to pay six right. actors that way. Right, so, right. <laughs> so not seen again for five days, Walton returned with tales of large-eyed aliens who had quote-unquote beamed him into the spacecraft examined him and then conducted him out of the craft into a hangar-like room. He was then moved to another chamber, but had little memory of what happened after that. So it's a little more tame than it is in the movie. Um, and in fact, the screenwriter was specifically told, you need to make this more wild because like, <laughs> his story's kind of too boring and typical, aside from the fact that he allegedly met aliens. Oh, right. Um, so... So the Time Life, in, uh, Time Life uh, version continues. Uh, some serious doubts, however, were soon cast on the reliability of the Walton story. Philip J. Class, a longtime skeptic on the subject of flying saucer phenomena, discovered that the alleged abductee was known to be a UFO enthusiast, and at that time of the incident, the team of which he was a member had fallen behind on a logging contract and faced possible financial penalties. Uh-huh. But if the contract... <laughs> yeah, so, so right here we can see some cracks <laughs> in the stories starting to appear. Uh-huh. Um, but the contract contained a clause that forgave non-completion if it was caused by an act of God, um, you know, which... Wait, wait, uh, that's a clause? Uh, yeah, act, act, of, act of God causes I, for, for stuff like natural disasters. Hurricanes, tornadoes, yeah, volcano yeah, eruptions, yeah. But do, do aliens fall under that? Do, do, does alien encounter really fall under act of God? Well, I mean, there, there is a guy who's based in Florida, I think, who does actually sell UFO insurance. And I'll have to send you the link for that later. It's, it's, it's like one of those novelty gag gifts you get people, you know, like <laughs> buying some. Buying some of the lordship title or something like that. Watch like, out next buy... Christmas, Tom. You know it's coming your way. Yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> for the yeah for the abduction enthusiast uh, in your life. Yeah, the, the guy who's a little too into the X Files. Everybody knows one. <laughs> I wanted to know if a few th- if a few things really happened. If they really what. Oh no 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 no! Ask ask questions. Oh we're no, were you? Uh, this, so. Did you have more to read? Well, yeah, okay, so... Okay, class continue. Suge- class suggested that the loggers, finding themselves in a financial bind, 
could have dreamed up the notion of faking an abduction, re reasoning that such a terrifying event at the worksite would qualify as an act of God and get them off the hook. <laughs> Furthermore, Class pointed out, the incident occurred only 16 days after the broadcast of the television version of The Interrupted Journey, um, which was a movie made about the Betty and Barney Hill case and actually mm. stars James L James L. Jones as Barney Hill. Like uh, So pre-Star Wars James L. Jones. Huh. Um, when the theme of abductions was very much in the public mind, the much sought after ironclad proof that people were being abducted would not be found in the Travis Walton case. <laughs> so what, what, what were you wondering about that, Blake? Well, first of all, they did, they didn't mention the, uh, getting out of a logging contract in the movie. That's not true. There oh. is a scene when a reporter is yelling questions at, um, Mike Rogers, Robert Patrick, uh, and they yell, did you do this because you wanted to get out of your, your logging contract? Oh. Like very quickly, so got, like shoving a microphone in his face. They got it in there yes. just barely. Yes, okay. it was something to that extent, yes. But the movie very clearly wants you to believe the story, which now knowing about the, the contract thing, it's like, of course they were all going to corroborate the story. What they did put in was that these guys were reading like a National Enquirer or some kind of rag. There was some kind of tabloid that Henry Thomas's character was reading. Yes. So it's interesting you mentioned that. So in the days following you, uh, uh, Walter, now this is on Wikipedia, um, which of course we know is never wrong, but I, right. I think th this one is, this is probably okay to, to mention. In the days following Walton's UFO claim, the National Enquirer awarded Walton and his co-workers a $5,000 prize for best UFO case of the year after they allegedly passed polygraph tests administered by the Enquirer and the Aerial Phenomena Research Association, organization, sorry, not association. Um, and let's see. With that said, Walton, his older brother, and his mother were described by the Navajo County, Arizona sheriff as, quote-unquote, long-time students of UFOs. <laughs> wow. Um yeah, yeah. So I think people really did think that it was possible that his colleagues might have murdered him the way they played out in the movies. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how much that was believed versus like, um, yeah, sorry, sorry, Jess. You... No, I mean, okay. My main question is, yeah. how was he discovered? Was it like in the film? That's, I wanted to know this too. Where he called his friend Collect from a payphone. Naked in the rain. Naked in the rain, where his where the the whole crew pulled up and found him. And instead of calling the police or calling yeah, see. an ambulance immediately, they call the uh the gentleman from the they, uh, they call they call the uh, alien uh, uh, investigator. Yes, yeah. who comes and immediately starts taking photographs of their traumatized friend. I was just wondering how he was found. So I think that part was maybe exaggerated slightly for dramatic effect, mm -hmm. but. Um, he was apparently found walking on the side of the road five days later. Um, whether he was nude or not, I'm not 100%. Um, mm. But the, fir the first people they did contact were apparently Phoenix's ground saucer watch, who are like a, some yeah. sort of UF local UFO research group. And apparently the police were not notified straight away. They got to find out in the press when everyone else did a few days later. <laughs> okay. so, so you can see why people had questions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Brian Dunning, who runs Skeptoid Podcast. Um, I, I have 
mixed feelings about Brian. Um, I don't know him personally, of course. Like, I, I think he puts a lot of good information out for free. I also think he's like incredibly smug. Um, he, he kind of had this, this was his kind of take on it. Now I'm quoting from this rather than using an audio file because, um, you can access the transcripts for free, but you've got to pay for the older episodes. This one's from 2008. Okay. The few bits and pieces of physical testable evidence that Travis's story would have produced, if true, were never present. To summarize, there is and never has been any proof that anything ever happened. The far more plausible explanation, that of a youthful money-making or attention-getting scheme by a couple of UFO enthusiasts, has worked out well. To critically analyze a far-out incredible story like an extraterrestrial abduction, the first request we make is, show, is to show us any evidence. And at this first hurdle, the Travis Walton story has failed miserably. Completely, I should say, not miserably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, Were there any reports? Um, I, know, I know that you said that the police were contacted later, but were there any reports like whenever he was discovered, he had wounds by his eyes and nose and nose uh, from all that corresponded orifices. to where various probes were in the yeah. movie where they clockwork orange, Tim. <laughs> I think, I think that was a little bit of, um, um, dramatic license. Shall we say? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, there was no physical evidence we, on his person. I would really like it, it. It would really influence my opinion on what happened, uh, depending on whether he was found nude, clothed. Like, if if these aliens threw you, threw you back down in the same clothes you came in, I I don't know. That wouldn't that just wouldn't make sense to me. I but, I but, just... n- but nude is not hard to fake either. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but... Well, what I know from faking fugue states from TV it's is that you just get naked and just yeah. walk around yeah. kind of dazed. Well, you could wear just a hat and sunglasses. Maybe just a hat and sunglasses. Nothing else. Yeah. Got to protect your head. <laughs> Your eyes. Well, there was but. there was that X Files episode too. I think I think it was in season two where the the teenagers are being abducted or something, and they they sort of just show up by the side of the road in their underwear or that kind of thing. Is like, that the one with Seth Green when he was on <laughs> it, like a baby Seth Green? No, oh, no. Okay. He's one of the he's one of the conspiracy theorists who shows up at that like black site or something like that. Okay. This was I, I I don't remember much about the episode. I just remember it was season two, but it was the same kind of thing. Like you know, showing up walking around days, no clothes mm-hmm. on, that kind of thing. Like yeah, I think they had scars on their backs, something like that. You know, pretty pretty standard. <laughs> yeah. Um. So and of course like. Walton ended up getting a book deal, which he wrote uh, in 1978. It was called Fire in the Sky, The Walton Experience, which uh, which detailed his claims. And, and that's kind of what the, the movie was very loosely based on. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I he's still alive. He's still doing interviews now. I, I found a fairly recent one on an interview that mostly mostly specializes in interviewing like former wrestlers and stuff like that the, uh, while I was doing some research for this. Um, so, and he still does the UFO convention circuit and things like that. So, uh, uh, look, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't think the evidence is in his favor by any means, but I kind of admire the hustle to stick to the story uh, after 40 plus years, you know, and still. And still you got to admire story. all of them passing a polygraph test if they did all in fact pass that well that, that's not nothing 
It's interesting you touched on that because there were several polygraph tests conducted over oh, the years. Right. And okay. um, some were passed, some were not, some were inconclusive. Was one of those um, staged by Paramount Pictures to be able to <laughs> whack that to whack that card on the end of the movie? Yes, oh. apparently so. so. Oh god! <laughs> Ooh, okay. So was it, this was way later, like when they were making a movie. No, they did uh, another series later, right? Is what you're that, suggesting, Tom? Yeah, Travis has done several over the years. Uh, I can't speak for all the guys involved, but there was some done at the time under like some. You can read about it online. There's there's much more detailed breakdowns, but essentially, like uh, he he's failed quite a few too. You know, <laughs> like yeah. he definitely hasn't passed them all. Um, and then, uh, what, what was the other thing that happened? The, uh, but yeah, Paramount apparently did set one up with one particular guy, uh, so that they could have this kind of, um, interstitial, like, you know, where are they now kind of card at, at the end of yeah. the film. So. Was it the hunky, uh, Peter Berg character with the cheekbones? I thought it I was the know. guy, the guy who hated the main, uh, Travis. That would be Alan Dallas. He was the one with hell in his eyes, according to the characters in the film. So so I haven't dug too deeply on this, but I think that um, Mike Rogers and Travis are the two real guys, and the other three are kind of amalgamations of real people. Yeah, so, so I wouldn't... I wouldn't put a huge amount of stock in the way anyone's <laughs> portrayed in that. I think there's that need for uh, drama and, uh, you know, having that three-act structure kind of thing. So, like, so Elliot from E.T. may not have been a, uh, a real person? <laughs> Tra- tragic. Well, I mean, he, he, he he's real in our hearts, Blake. You know, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> He'll did be he, right did here. Did he do any... No, thank mm-hmm. She pointed to my heart and said, he'll be right here. Uh, did he do any non-alien movies in between E.T. and this? I, you know, I don't know. I didn't actually recognize it as being Elliot, I have to say, but it's been a while since I've seen E.T., so... Oh. Um, but let's but let's have a look. Et the extraterrestrial. What's what's Elliot? I'm not like? certain on what came bef- between Et and Fire in the Sky, but I do know. I'm pretty certain he was in Legends of the Fall with Brad yeah. Pitt. Right? Would, he might have been. I, I haven't seen Legends of the Fall. There were like some. three brothers, and Anthony Hopkins was the dad. He was the patriarch. Have you seen... Uh, My sister had a Brad Pitt poster from... Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, Legends uh, of the I, Fall I, in her bedroom when he had the blonde, long hair. Probably I remember the, the same, poster. Uh, yeah, <laughs> probably the same era as like Interviews of Vampire. If you uh, <clears throat> watch Haunting of Hill House, you can see a, like, a, like a 50-year-old Elliot. It's kind of it's weird. So he did a few things. He didn't do a ton of movies. So like he did E.T., he did Misunderstood, Cloak and Dagger... Uh, these were not alien films, apparently. Um, <laughs> no, no clue what they are. Frog dreaming. Um, I don't know. Maybe the, the, the right. boy dreams about a frog. I guess. <laughs> then, um, Valmont, a romantic drama film directed by Milos Forman. So I can only assume that's about um, like young people having mm. sex or something. Because <laughs> like that, yeah. You hear the words French, and you hear the words Milos Forman, and you think. <laughs> Maybe slightly untoward. Um, right. And then it was Fire in the Sky, which was four years after that. So, yeah, I, I think he did some TV stuff. I can't so, believe no. he didn't get bigger roles. And in Fire in the Sky, he's like, you know, 
sixths on my call sheet and it's like this this dude was the main kid of et who was like a he was the heart of the, et a man. wonderkind like a like this kid can act for only being like six years old or whatever he wants he's probably uh 10 or 11 i guess uh, it's yeah. it's kind of like a uh, well it's a bit like kind of clumsy like she never really hit the heights of my girl again did oh she? yeah yeah. yeah, I was gonna. And say I mean, she was she was good. I liked her. I liked, but yeah, the... yeah, yeah. Um, mm. What Haley Joel Osment? Now he he had several uh, roles as a really young kid, but then he just kind of kind of fell off. What happens is you hit that awkward phase yeah. uh, mm-hmm. called uh, adolescence, right? And no one wants you. <laughs> no one wants you unless it's uh, voicing Kingdom Hearts, and then. <laughs> then you're you're signed on for ten video games or whatever it was. I, I will say I have um, a couple of friends who've been actors in various capacities over the year, like uh, over the years. In in and like, and when I say actors, I mean child actors too. Like, mm. uh, I had a mate who was well, he was he was a friend in school. I haven't seen him in a long time. He was in like some KFC ads and, <laughs> and that kind of thing. And um, nice. I think I think he did a couple of like maybe soap opera roles and that kind of thing. Like we did a kid on this day, so let's get this guy in. And uh, I did run into him a few years ago, and he essentially said, like, oh, you know, I kind of stopped, not because I really wanted to, but the roles kind of dry up when you kind of, you know, past 13, and then they often dry up until you're, like, in your late 20s, so you've, you've really got to want to stick it out. Like, and, and it's obviously a bit different for the sort of super heartthrob types and that kind of thing, but he yeah. wasn't that, and not and not trying to be that either. I <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, but, yeah. And I, yeah, and I had, I, when I was uh, working at um, EB Games, I had a co-worker who'd been an actor, and he, he pretty much said the same thing. He kind of said, well, look, these days you're covered in tattoos and so on, so you can get cast as like background tough guy such and such you know like yeah so how much do you want to do that or how much do you want to just work a regular day job you know yeah so it could just be that kind of thing to be honest yeah yeah probably is Mm. Mm. or you know he probably wanted to do things other than other than act with his life yeah yeah and i think like being in et like are you ever going to be in a movie as big as et again like yeah you know, it's it's yeah. the uh to kill a mockingbird situation right where harper mm, lee mm. never wrote another book because it's uh, like uh how do i yeah, top that yeah yeah so yeah very much so yeah we're, we're not you know and particularly with actors not everyone can kind of be i remember when leonardo DiCaprio first came on the scene oh, i just remember thinking he'd blaze out in a few years like um <laughs> Uh, you know, all his kind of contemporaries did, like Jonathan yeah. Taylor Thomas and all those other randos. And of course, here we are now. Like, um, and he's, you know, then he made yeah. a little movie <laughs> called The Beach and became the yeah. biggest actor ever. He never, yeah. never left. <laughs> yeah. Does anyone remember that movie? It was not good. Yeah, I remember uh, it existing. Okay. All right. But, uh, I, I remember. I remember getting why people liked it, but not thinking it was that good, and it. It, people talk about movies insisting on themselves, and the beach definitely insisted upon <laughs> itself. Like, <laughs> um, so to the to the actual alien stuff in the in the movie, it's horrifying. Like it, yeah. it's yeah, it's so out of left field after this like quiet sleepy town drama that would make yep. Perry Mason seem rowdy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> what is, is horrifying to me is how we get to his 
memory of what happened, right? He oh, comes yes. home, right? He's been in the hospital yeah. for a couple days. Hmm. And the first thing that you should do after your best friend or brother or son or whatever has been possibly abducted by aliens, disappeared for five days, and is found uh, extremely traumatized. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the first thing you should do is have a big welcome back potluck for them. Have everybody you know in the town shout surprise at him as, <laughs> as this traumatized man walks in the door. It's like, no, don't do this. Yike. Yeah. So, so I think that was how he starts to, or at least how the movie portrays getting to like those PTSD memories. It's like episode. a PTSD episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He ends up and hiding under the table. Yeah. Yes. It was so, um, so like, I know apparently in the movie, they're meant to be Mormons. They, they kind of suggest that, that like the religious character is a Mormon, but to me, it just felt like super Baptist. Like, uh, you know, like, yeah, that was he, very he's, strange. He's a gigantic like, potluck. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so we after he has his PTSD episode, we, which is which is you know quite upsetting in the in the context of the film, and sort of starts, you know, you can start to see the shift in tone happening. Um, all of a sudden, it flashes back to him actually on the spacecraft, mm-hmm. and, and this part I will say this is something I've seen other reviewers talk about. Um, it is quite unlike any other real vision of alien spacecraft I've seen. Like most alien abduction movies, you know, they don't, they, they often really downplay the features of the place or they'll make it really, um, you know, it's kind of like a white room where you can't see too much because it's so brightly lit. Whereas this one yeah. was. Like it's it's dirty and it's, it's disgusting. organic, yeah, right? It, yes, it's, like, it's, yeah. it's kind yeah. of like an HR Geiger alien. Uh, like he's in a, a organic honeycomb type prison for humans, mm-hmm. and he's yeah. covered in like a a, a goo. A, There's a, goo, a, and, yeah. and viscera everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's gross. Yeah. It's very gross. And it's I mean, this is the scene where he's popping out, which is very resembling of maybe like giving birth you know what i mean where he's yeah yeah, in, yeah. In, oh, yeah i think jessica said the matrix like w- it, where they keep it, the people yeah. in the pods yes it reminded me of breaking free from the pods and yeah. the matrix and you're too. all covered in goo <laughs> same same situation yes and uh and same visual too because whenever he yeah. pops out it is just a, it's, it's like a tall stacks a t- of of pods yes. or cells mm. i guess where humans are i guess stored yeah in- stored well, yeah, because he finds that dead body yeah. as well in one, and that was that was very upsetting. Like, it, oh, yeah, it was. I yeah. think I did an oh no and hid my head. <laughs> like, yeah. did not like that. He flies into a rotting corpse. Yeah, and as someone as someone who's kind of familiar with the sort of broad tropes of of how these real, you know, quote unquote, real life stories are meant to go, that's not something that's normally included. So. Having that in there th- gives it a whole really disturbing implication, I think. Like, yes. yeah, you know, and yeah. it, it seems like when he comes out, it's almost like a zero gravity room. I'm, mm-hmm. I may have this wrong. He's connected. No, by it, some, it, I, I like think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and I think mm. it was it was well made. Like it it did seem like he was kind of floating around, and uh, yeah, it didn't look fake. 
It was kind of, yeah, no, the, the zero gravity was quite well done. I think I've seen movies that have spent a lot more money do zero gravity yeah, much worse. Um, exactly. Some of those films, including Avengers Endgame, you know, so, um, <laughs> or, or uh, the, what, what was the middle Star Wars prequel, a uh, sequel, sorry. Um, was that Revenge? The last, last, the last of the Jedi. Clones? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Talking about the, yeah. sorry. The first no, one. no, no. I meant to say sequel, but I, I said prequel by accident. Um, yeah, no. The Last Jedi did did um, zero gravity much worse as well. Like you, you mean know, where she's the... floating through space? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, oh. well, well, where everyone's floating in space, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. It's oh true. right. Okay. Yeah. Not 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 just her. Yeah. But, but the, you know, um, this is uh, one character we're focused. Well, that that was almost like an entirely CG creation. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, and, um, and the, but but the whole ship is not zero g. Suddenly, he he goes into another part that's that that, that has gravity, and it's like a hospital uh, lab something. Mm. Or other. Well, he goes into the strange room with all the suits. Oh yes, oh, yeah, he I have, have to mention yeah, he somehow like suits, floats yeah. into this room. Yeah, and it looks like these aliens. Like, and by, when I say alien, I mean like the stereotypical the gra- alien with grays. the grays, yeah, the grays and the, yeah. yeah, big so eyes, big heads, black, big black eyes. Yes, and yeah. he is floating around, and you think, oh, they're all aliens who are maybe sleeping or it something. It kind of looks like dead or sleeping grays with yeah. tubes. Uh, Attached to some tubing or yes. something. Yes, and he gets close mm. and you realize, oh, these are all just like their suits. He says, it almost seems like an ADR line. Suits. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, was this a studio note that like, we, now we need, it was obvious to me. But it was obvious it was a suit to me too, but Did the maybe. studio say, we need to tell the audience that what he's encountering here are, are in fact spacesuits and, and not the actual aliens. Studios do tend to think that the audiences it, are yeah, they think we're very not dumb. very smart. I mean, hence the reason why like, I think the original Blade Runner had like a yeah, narration. That was a yeah. studio note. They were like, people are too dumb. Yeah. Um, but I, I haven't. I thought it was kind of cool. I have. I haven't seen an alien interpretation where the greys are just an exoskeleton, mm-hmm. and mm. within that is actually like a, a fleshy, weird little muppet. <laughs> well, and and they go for a super obvious jump scare in this one, but it, I still thought it was really effective. It where, was right where. Yeah. It, oh, the suit yeah. comes the, to life. Some, sort of? Yeah, someone's actually wearing one of the suits. That was a like, good. Oh! That was a good scare. Yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. it worked. Very yeah. effective because you think the suits are empty. Yeah, it works. Mm. And then he is. That's when he's wheeled to like the. Yeah. Operation experimentation room. Yeah, they they kind of drag him and Yeah, they literally for a while they're dragging him. Like It's terrifying. It's the same situation. I don't know if you've ever seen Jacob's Ladder, but there's a scene where yes. the main character is being is on a gurney and being wheeled through this hospital and it looks like a portrait of hell, right? And yes, that yeah, reminded yeah. me yeah. the same thing with this scene in Fire in the Sky where he's being wheeled and you see flashes of the aliens around him and just you can f- feel and sense his utter terror. Yeah. Like it was very well done, I think. It is hellish. And you see all this little treatise from other people who've obviously been there before him, like there's the pair of glasses and, and like yeah. sneaker and you kind of like, Oh, what and else has been going on? These here? Aliens like, don't, <laughs> it's very dirty. They don't, they don't 
clean up after themselves all that well, no, I guess, because no. they're These dragging, aliens are filthy. They're dragging them through a filthy hallway, and I, w- I was also going to use the word detritus, <laughs> full, just mm. full of the junk of all the people that they have um, uh, uh, kidnapped. It's almost like a, a villain's lair in a horror slasher movie. <laughs> And then, well, and then they show the instruments they're going to use on him, and they're all like covered in blood already, and like oh, <laughs> they're dirty. Was, yeah, it was. Maybe these are not sophisticated and, beings. <laughs> oh, the instruments are just nightmares in themselves. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. It, if you've ever seen, they reminded me of. I don't know if you've ever seen David Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. Oh, I, I haven't. It's on my to watch list, but I've heard. I've, I've seen pictures of the instruments. In, okay, in yes. Some, like, in some like special effects book I read or something, and I was like, "Yes, oh, yeah. yes, yeah, Night- mm. nightmare, nightmare tools." Mm. I don't know yes. what to yeah. say other than that. Yeah, <laughs> clearly all designed for maximum scare factor, mm-hmm. and like mm. you were saying, maybe not based on his actual uh, recollections. No, uh, <laughs> in, in quotes, but just like how scary can we possibly make the these ten minutes? Well, well I, this is. Yeah, I guess it works. This is where we kind of jump back to some of the pop culture stuff too. Like, so in so the in the eighties is really where this idea of like these horribly invasive um, abductions kind of gained their most traction. I would say, like, obviously they existed. They go back to at least the sixties with the Betty and Barney Hill. But it, it be, kind of became a thing in, in a different way. So in 1981, you had um, Bud Hopkins publish a book called Missing Time, which kind of touched on it. Uh, but So in, in the late 80s, you had Whitley Strieber publish Communion, which I think we've all seen the, the cover with the, the grey on it, which sort of popularised the grey in and of itself. Um, and that also publicised sort of the idea about stuff like i don't think he was the first but he he talks about getting an anal probe and that kind of thing and mm. like sort of oh. all, all those kind of really cliched tropes that we think of when we think about that sort of right. thing so unsolved mysteries that hit tv as well the x-files came out the same year as this so so the zeitgeist around and the public thought around this subject matter had had already kind of shifted in a much darker way and so fire in the sky was kind of like the perfect film for the time really like so i think that around that time 93 ish was maybe around the same time i i was being horrified by shows like sightings i think it was sightings yeah Yeah, sightings sightings was on yeah yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, were were they the show i i know you you mentioned you mentioned them alongside unsolved mysteries on your podcast and i had almost forgotten that show existed but Mm -hmm. i did catch it as a kid Mm. were they the ones that did a lot of alien stuff I thought it was exclusively alien, uh, yeah. or maybe maybe there was also some like uh, they did ghosts, and yeah, stuff, <laughs> ghosts paranormal and or crypto uh, zoology type stuff, maybe chupacabras. Yeah, yeah. It, so sightings, uh, as I've understood it, because it didn't air on over here when I was a kid, but most of it's up on YouTube now. So I've watched quite a bit in the last um, year or two, and it, it, it rules. Like it, it's <laughs> a ter- it's a terrible show, but it's great. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it it kind of was very similar to Unsolved Mysteries, but with sort of the true crime <laughs> taken out and just <laughs> the par- the paranormal stuff ramped up to eleven essentially, and yeah. 
all credibility thrown out the window. <laughs> there was, I, I think it might've been because of this show. I could be wrong. Cause there were like 10 shows that were just knockoffs of unsolved mysteries going around at the time. Yeah. 100%. But yeah. There was a short period of my childhood where I was like, piss my pants, terrified of grays coming yeah. in at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, X-Files was briefly banned from my home. My mom never <laughs> censored what I watched at all. Just Jesse was having nightmares. But little Jesse had nightmares when she watched the X-Files on Friday nights and so Well, what do you expect is going to happen? Well, I for a period in time when I was uh this would have been 1995, so it would have been 9 or 10, and I had a period of night terrors in part because the X-Files was such a public thing like you couldn't mm -hmm. avoid it and i was reading tons of books about ufos like my, my parents restricted what i watched but they never really restricted what i read so you oh, know <laughs> yeah and and as as we all know sometimes the imagination is worse than the actual images <laughs> presented mm -hmm. in front of us and we we're also living in this house with faulty wiring as well so it was quite a new house, but it had like down lights and down lights were kind of new at the time. So they'd just burn out the fuses all the time. So if you're sitting in a room with only a lamp and you're reading a book about UFOs and the lights don't work, like it's just, yeah, yeah. recipe. And there, there's some other sort of stressful things going on in your life at the time. Cause you know, you're, you're 10. Um, <laughs> yeah, there, there's, uh, you know, it's just the recipe for disaster. on that front. Yeah. But, don't, don't yeah. do that at night. Just, don't do that yeah. to yourself, mm. little little Tom. And I mean, this was also the era where I would torture myself with uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. So it was coming from all sides. We, like, we had yeah. we, we we grew up with every bit of pop culture was trying to terrify us. R.L. Stein with his nonsense. Yeah, um, wasn't it Alvin Schwartz who wrote the scary or compiled the scary stories to tell in the dark? Uh, I think so. That, that that didn't have the same kind of presence over here, but I've heard a lot of American friends talk about it. Very oh, man. Yeah. I'm going to send you the trilogy, buddy. Hey. Gonna... <laughs> <we> yeah. <laughs> They're terrifying. And it, it's honestly not necessarily stories. It's the images, the, yeah, the, the artwork. The artwork is Yeah, a, I've a seen, I've seen the illustrations. They're, they're really grotesque and um, yeah. right. disgusting. Yeah. So yeah, and I so you're hit from everything. Like I had, you know, mm. the the alien, and to me, both were equally plausible when I was ten years old. Like it was totally plausible that, you know, ghosts could pop out from anywhere. But it's also totally plausible that aliens could come down and abduct me and my friends. Like I, I was more afraid of the aliens. I was not a supernatural believer for the most part, and I was like, oh, the. You know, werewolves and boogeymen and all that, they, they they won't get me because that shit's not real. But aliens, though, like mm. that. I was very into sci-fi always. Yeah. And so uh, I guess I, I wanted to believe in the possibility uh, <laughs> of there being well, aliens. You've both touched on an interesting point there, Jess. Like, I think you've touched on kind of um, what Carl Jung talked about with his essay about how ufos and and i guess by extension extraterrestrials fulfill that kind of um i don't know if i'd say psychological need but same psychological process that other sort of supernatural entities used to weren't like you know i i have scottish relatives and, and welsh relatives and things like that and they're quite 
I don't, I, I don't want to go into it too much and make them sound silly, but they'll often be happy to talk about the, you know, the we folk and things like that mm -hmm. as though it's just a, a normal mm. thing. Um, conversely, Blake, you sort of touch on something about, um, you know, the idea of aliens is kind of a scientific question inherently. Like, is there life on other planets? Maybe, you know, we don't we don't really know, probably. But then that question, how it's been co-opted and put in place of some of this other phenomena that might have been considered just out and out supernatural once upon a time, you know, and it occupies that weird sort of nexus in, in um, both spots. And uh, I actually have a quote about this um, from an acquaintance of mine, Dr. Laura Thursby. So I interviewed her uh, when I did my zine uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, she teaches at Ontario Tech and Trent University in Canada, and she specializes in uh, discussing UFOs and their place in pop culture. She sort of said, um, on a broader level, however, I think you also you also think ufology has become situated in a very fascinating place where the rational and the irrational intersect. As official institutions such as the government, the scientific establishment and academia dismiss, quote unquote, irrational and magical thinking, ufology is offered a platform for alternative ways of thinking, believing and being, all while symbolically packaging itself as a rational and scientific discipline. To me, ufology sits precariously on the borders of fact and fiction, the scientific and the pseudo-scientific, the rational and the irrational, and consequently other kinds of spiritual and mythical ideas tend to latch on to ufology. This is especially true when those ideas share a similar disillusionment or mistrust in official institutions, when those ideas question the limitations of the rational materialist paradigm on which much of the modern world is assembled. So. I think you both sort of uh, touched on that in, in in inadvertently in different ways. It's it's an interesting discussion to kind of have where that this stuff occupies its place in our psyche. I think. Yeah, I was just going to say that the whole thing you just read. I was just about to say that, but um, <laughs> she cool. she said she said it first, so you know. <laughs> she did. She did her PhD in this stuff. To, to yeah, like, I do. Yeah, yeah. Can you get a PhD in U in ufology? Listen, I I read a Dan Brown book, and there's a character well, that has a he teaches symbology hey. at Harvard University, so. Symbology and, and U, it, ufology not, not the same thing. It, it's not in ufology precisely. I would need to go and look up her her, um, her thing again. But it, it was essentially on the lines of the impact they've had on pop culture over the years. And yeah. she herself, um, you know, from my conversations with her, would describe herself as kind of agnostic about uh, leaning towards disbelieving about whether they actually exist or not kind of thing. But real or not, they have a they have an impact, you know, as we've all just talked about. <laughs> I wonder like when the first inst instance of someone saying they were contacted by extraterrestrials or abducted was, I mean, I guess it would have had to, well, I mean, we've known about other planets for hundreds or thousands of years, mm, mm. but when, has anyone nailed that down? <laughs> Who was the first well, to be abducted? Well, it depends how you define it, because if you like, and this is where that Carl Jung sort of thinking comes in, because, you, you know, if you go back and look at old stories about fairies, uh, and, uh, and I don't mean the kind of like modern image of, of like Tinkerbell that we have, but like... And, 
and also like how you mentioned like the spiritualism movement and Victorian mm. era where people yeah. believed that no, they were. No, I'm talking about someone actually saying they were visited by someone from outer space. Uh, like, that that would, if I was to guess, it would be like, I would guess probably around the time of the spiritualism movement in the Victorian era. But I'll, I'll dig into this, and I'll, I that, might record a little addendum at the end. Actually, that would make yeah. that would make mm. sense. Well, we need to talk to uh, some of the ancient aliens experts um, from <laughs> the television show because right. they, they they would tell us the Egyptians they, were really well. They the first. there's probably some uh, pictograms or paintings they found that depict abduction i don't i don't know i'm just being silly but look yeah no. <laughs> sorry i have such uh, no 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 don't be i have such mixed feelings about ancient aliens because this is a show it's quite entertaining and silly um you know like giorgio sulcus is extremely funny with his mm-hmm. with his big hair and um, <laughs> big crazy hair. And, 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 yeah. and he'll sort of be, my favorite quote of his is where he's talking about some like outlandish theory he's been asked about he's like the only way we would know that it wasn't aliens who did this is if the aliens came down tomorrow and said it wasn't us. And then yeah. like big, big hey, that's air, airtight. Logic airtight. Works. The, the problem I have with it is that it tends to diminish um, human ingenuity mm-hmm. and you do see it kind of yeah. co-opted in some, not, not to say that everyone who watches the show or has, has enjoyed it. Um, is racist or anything like that, but you do see it being really co-opted in racist ways. Um, and if you go back and read Eric von Daniken's um, Chariots of the Gods, like he's very happy to throw around words like and, savages and primitives yeah. and all that stuff. Like it's pretty gross. Uh, I've never read that, nor have I read Communion or uh, mm. Behold a Pale Horse, but I worked receiving uh, at a very popular chain bookstore here in the States and um that chain a no, a, a books. <laughs> <laughs> but uh i was gonna say it was a noble enterprise that's right it, it wasn't in a barn <laughs> never mind it wasn't on the border that okay. one went uh, under uh, okay anyway right. so uh but those books were like constant just perennially popular does that yeah. make sense like we yeah it's we oh, yeah, would yeah, get yeah, them yeah. in constantly it stays on the shelf yes permanently C- yes com- communion communion is is less kind of problematic uh, i would say on that front um whitley streber the, the person who wrote them he he made some really stupid comments when all the black lives matter protests happened mm-hmm. um i so i would say that he's somewhat problematic um but but again that's a large conversation but the the book itself that you published in 1987 is pretty okay it doesn't make any big claims about like oh the aliens told the incans how to build yeah. their temples you know yeah mm. these books have just always i've always been kind of intrigued by them just by looking at the covers and reading the back and not that i necessarily believe any i've just always wanted to read them because mm. i never have well communion the cover of communion still just haunts me yeah I just looked it up. Yes. That face, man. I'll never forget that face. The f- the first time I saw it, I would have been maybe six or seven. And so I was already kind of aware by of UFOs and the idea of alien abduction because 
my mum and dad are both eccentric people. Uh, yeah. um, but the first time I saw the cover, I actually thought it was a photo of an alien. And I was oh, just, my God. Oh, yeah, I was just horrified. Real, and, real aliens. And it's quite a photorealistic painting. It's by this it artist named Ted Seth Jacobs, um, who's sort of famous for, for doing photorealistic paintings. Um, and it's horrifying, but, um, and it's still kind of, I have a couple of copies of it on my shelf. And it still, still weirds yeah. me out every time I look can't, at it. You know, can't look but, at it at night. And I've, I've mm. never read these books, but I just mm. have always wondered how they've just held so much importance, I guess. Uh, yeah. And I've never myself read them. Kind of been well, interested, but I never will. So, we'll yeah. C- communion, if you were going to read any of the three communions, the one I would say, like, Behold a Pale Horse is um, questionable. I mean, these are not good <laughs> books. I mean, they're not. <laughs> they're, they're, uh, they have uh, problems. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, uh, yeah well, yeah. so I work in a library. Um, speaking of about the, the lasting power of, of these types of books. Hmm. Uh, and I can't answer the question why, but I can say that as someone who works in a library, my job is, um, uh, this is not a joke or anything. My job is honestly, mostly, um, helping the unhoused community in uh, the vicinity use computers and the internet and such. Hmm. And as someone who hardly – in a modern library, I hardly ever get asked about books. Uh, the ones I do get asked about are um, aliens, supernatural, witchcraft, uh, magic, uh, Egyptology, hieroglyphs, ancient aliens, and all of that type of stuff. Like those are the only – that seems to be the only genre people are interested in. Um <laughs> And that the witchcraft one, we have a particular one. It doesn't leave the library. It's a reference book. Uh, that one's always – people are always trying to steal that one. Um, those types of books get stolen off our shelf a lot. Is it like the Ars Goetica or something like that? or like? Oh, it's some – no, it's not that. It's some kind of encyclopedia of witchcraft, something mm-hmm. or other. I should pay more attention. But, you know, it's that – in that vein but this is what people are are interested in like, well it's just kind of the culture of conspiracy being mainstream y- true so like maybe it's more so nowadays yes. i mean oh, i don't even i don't even want to bring it up <laughs> no i was gonna no no but i but i get what you're driving at like this sort of stuff holds an appeal for people and and there's yeah. a host of reasons for for me as a little boy it was kind of like well is there life on other planets like where can i find out about that and rather than being steered toward carl sagan or something like that who who has some sort of scientific insight on that uh-huh. uh, it's much easier to get hold of like whitley strebo <laughs> you know yeah. or, or or travis walton like you know that's that's where culture will kind of point you for better or well, worse and, there's yeah. their stories are are so much more of uh, what's the word for it <laughs> visceral i don't know what you're trying to say the, yeah, definitely the, visceral yeah, but, yeah Ent- carl, carl sagan is, is boring um the the other guys uh books where stuff uh may or may not be made up is is more entertaining and <laughs> and eye-catching you know yeah where well, the sagan stuff is not and and something like uh, I mean the Sagan book I have read is um, the Demon Haunted World, which is a great one, it's sort yeah. of an introduction to scientific skepticism and things like that. But it does also uh, and like 
it's always difficult to talk about this without sounding like a, a, a grump or something like that. But, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people come away from something like Sagan or Dawkins feeling like, well, that might be true, but it's also taking the wonder out of the world, you know, quote unquote, wonder yeah. out of the world for me. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, I don't fully sign off on, on that kind of thought process, but I can see why people do. And they kind of go, oh, yeah. no, I, I'm going to read Travis Walton instead. You it's, know? <laughs> it's like two, two different types of people maybe uh the, the the people who are okay with taking the wonder out of things um because they'd rather just have the truth even though the truth is very boring or the people who are like you know what um i i'd rather live my real life like harry potter and uh i'm gonna keep the wonder in the world even even if it means believing Here's a lie forcing myself to believe lies you can take the wonder out of the world all you want but my mind is not uh, a scientifically geared, so you can explain things to me over and over again, and I'm still like, I don't understand it. But look at the stars; aren't they beautiful? <laughs> like, there's still wonder, even if there are yeah. scientific explanations. Yeah, there, there is so, wonder, like no matter what. Yeah. Like I shouldn't. Yeah, say that. <laughs> no, no, and 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 wonder is not mutually exclusive from a scientific understanding of things by any means. But certainly, the way you choose to. Um, interpret that and you know there, there are people who are also taking very visceral joy in um what did, what did dawkins call his book unweaving the rainbow or something like that one of them i i read yeah. the one called the god delusion and how that how'd that do you what every well everything in the book is technically true i think but uh li living your life according to Dawkins, uh, would make one an asshole. Um, but I mean, it's, it's near impossible to argue with, uh, you know, the, the, the scientific facts in there, but, uh, you know, maybe his, his way of, of going about it is, isn't the best. Uh, that's kind of yeah. a weak argument, but. Well, well, that, that's, that, uh, perhaps that'll be another episode. It probably won't. Uh, I have very mixed feelings <laughs> about Richard Dawkins. Sure, <laughs> so, sure. But, yeah, I understand. But, um, yeah. I do too. But, but I think, um, yeah, yeah, there, there is, I think a lot of people really wrestle with that idea of um, what's true versus what's interesting, what's technically true is not necessarily as interesting as I've been told. You, you know, the, 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 yeah. the, I, I, th I think lots of people deal with these conflicted impulses, and that's why we see these books so popular after so long or the these these ideas so popular you know yeah um, i mean conspiracy culture right now is at a fever pitch yeah and, and i think it's people just want to play these fantasy games so badly that well it's it's a larp isn't it for some people like yeah they, yeah. they haven't found a healthy way to larp like but now know, it, just... now it's ended up with people dead you know and, and people did mm. not need to die for uh something like you know, for, just, for just, no reason. Just for some context here, we're recording this on the 17th of January. This episode will probably come out about um, mid-February. And so so it's right after the, the sort of invasion of the capital happened. And uh, what Blake is obviously touching on is just how, um, you know, some people... The, the danger of living yeah. life in a fantasy world. Like, you know, you, like if you think UFOs are real, that's not inherently a dangerous belief. Like right. if you think that UFOs 
uh, secret agents of a pedophile government, well, <laughs> maybe we have more of a problem, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, it, and it really becomes a problem when you get yourself and other people killed by taking the LARPing too far. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't mean to, to bring it down. Uh, no, no, to, no. But, but you that. can guarantee the worst bit is is that you can guarantee virtually everyone who was involved in this is the sort of person who thinks Dungeons and Dragons or actual LARPing is evil. You know? <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're you know Harry Potter is silly, but but my version of of Fantasyland is is correct. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. But if yeah. this Harry- comes out in February, God knows what what we'll be thinking or feeling. Pray for America. You know, we, yeah. we might not be here. Who knows? On, on that note, what is everyone going to be doing for Valentine's Day? Does anyone have any plans? <laughs> oh, boy. I hope that we are not engaged in civil war. For a moment, I thought you were going to finish and say, I hope we're not engaged. And I was like, but you guys are already married. <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I know. We're going to go backwards. We're going to get engaged. <laughs> we're going to get unmarried. Go back to regular dating. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Why not? It's... T- I, I'm sure we'll be staying at home <laughs> mm-hmm. because and having ourselves an at-home date night again. Because we also have a conspiracy theorists who think you should not be wearing masks because <laughs> the yes. virus is a hoax. So yeah. because of this, yeah. the virus has a major hold here in the States, and um, we've been at home for almost a year now. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just coming to terms with it maybe being a forever pandemic. but uh, <laughs> At least here. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Uh, not to bring anyone down, guys. Not no, to- but, but <laughs> no, it's, no, but it's an un- unreasonable concern in the in the face of things. Uh, I guess maybe to to round things off, do do we have any final thoughts on Fire in the Sky or? Um- yeah, it's it was really strange to me how at the end of Fire in the Sky, it seemed like the Mike Rogers, the character played by Robert Patrick, uh, had suffered maybe more at least. Uh, in his life than Travis Walton, at least as depicted in the film where he had completely uh, moved out to the outskirts of town, lived by himself. He kind of looked like the kind of guy that would wear a tinfoil hat. Uh, just had like yeah. he looked like a more of a candidate for alien abduction than Travis did. Right? He did. He did. Where <laughs> Travis seemed to have this like nor- seemingly had a, a normal life. He had two little girls or two children. I can't remember. Mm, one on the way. Yeah, yeah. A little child, one on the way. Um, was married to Mike's sister, who they're mm. still married. Uh, I looked that up. Um, By the end, he's definitely Has a, a job. Seems to be pretty normal, whereas Mike uh, doesn't work. Doesn't have any contact with his family. Friends. Mm, he, he's a shotgun guy. Get the hell off my property, guy. By the end of it, it's just a strange uh, ending to the film. I thought, and I I don't know. It was it was a strange. It, it's a non-ending. It's a non-ending. It, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess he takes them back to the field where he was abducted, and is like, "This is giving us closure." But yeah, but is well, it? Yeah, and it's it's very odd because he sort of says. I don't think they'll be coming back. But earlier in the earlier in the movie, in the news report, they kind of implied that this has actually been going on for hundreds of years, and they talk about local um, indigenous legends of like yes. abductors from the sky and things like that. So they do kind of horn shoehorn in that ancient aliens angle. But um, 
Yeah, no, it was weird non-ending. And you know what I realised too um, after listening to that Robert Patrick interview? Those would have had to have been some of the first scenes they shot. Because <laughs> um, he has the, the big beard oh, yeah, and the long yeah. hair. And, yeah. uh, and then he, he talks about, oh, yeah, I had this long hair and this big beard. And I'm like, oh, so you shot this first and then you shot the rest of the movie kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah so small detail, but something that I found funny. So. Mm. I mean, yeah. I it, it's something I've seen more than once, and and uh, I I might recommend it for a a, a fun time, mo- mostly just for the last or just for that ten minute alien bit. Uh, but yeah, like I've said, it I to me it's a just okay movie with a really cool creepy alien part. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it keeps you engaged with this mystery and suspense. Maybe not so much mystery as it is just just suspense, small town intrigue. That stuff's okay. The actors are are good. They're fine. Yeah, this I wouldn't really say there's any bad performances or anything. No, like that. no, yeah. nobody was bad actually. Yeah. Mm. Oh, who was the uh, sh- uh, not sheriff, but uh, the guy who came James to- Garner, the investigator. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's pretty yeah, good. He, yeah, he's he's a really good heel in it, isn't he? Like, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. I was very disappointed that there was one major point they didn't wrap up, and I talked about this in the Discord the other day. We did. There we did. A, wait, wait, which one? Oh, yes. There's the, the, there's the girl at the beginning who's very mm-hmm. obviously in love with Travis, gives him the what I assume were free pastries as he Can rides. We set the scene. Yeah, Donuts. the scene is he's on his motorcycle, but he yeah. rides on the sidewalk and, specifically. Yeah. So he can cruise by the door of this pastry donut shop and she can hand him the bag. And he's still just cruising on the sidewalk as he grabs it, waves back at her and keeps on cruising. Jessica thought that was his side piece or something and he goes home to his wife. Well, and she like bites the lip and looks so longingly at him. But she also looks like she's 13. She does look very young. Why is he teasing this child? Yeah, there was a lot to unpack there for sure, um, but <laughs> we never she... get any resolution on that. What happened to her? <laughs> right. What were her thoughts on his disappearance? Uh, yeah, and that well, oh, or his, here's or the his marriage. You know, like the... <laughs> that that little girl, Steve Jobs, uh, as as and, we say, and she she'd go on to change the world. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and all the aliens clapped. Um, <laughs> I, yes, I want. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. no, no. I, I'm just, I would like sorry, to know if, if, if <laughs> I'd like to know if 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 Donut Girl was based on a real person. Also, or... I wonder if he was like, we got to put Travis was a consultant. Was like, we got to put Donut Girl in here, guys, because yeah. I look. She's she's integral to the story. Yeah. <laughs> integral. I don't know why I, I mean... pronounced it that way. It is a nice character moment. It sort of establishes him as this like cool young guy around town mm-hmm. and so on, like yeah. you know. But it, but it is, it is weird, and it does give it that really kind of homespun feel. Like you know, it's like oh, this is a small town, and old people drama, are like, get, like get off the dang sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's like, yeah, and he's he's a he's a bit of a lad about town, but in a cool way, not yeah. not in a. Not in an actual, not- like, menace to society way. Yeah, he's a nice boy. He's still right. a nice and boy. Next mm. thing you know, he's naked in the rain, and uh, things were never the same. Yeah. And, uh, you know, IRL still touring the UFO sec- 
circuit 40 plus years later. Uh, I will say that hmm. after we finished watching the movie, I looked him up and was trying to just look at images of him mainly. Uh, and he's not quite I as handsome saw... in real life, I will say. Like, uh, he's yeah. no DB, okay? But yeah, I will say there were images of him at conferences that you had talked about where he's going to different like UFO um, conferences or uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Um, conventions. Conventions. Thank you. Mm. That's the term I'm looking Cons. for. Cons. Cons, where he is standing <laughs> next to like a stereotypical oh. like cutout image of an alien. And I'm like, how would that make you feel if – this had happened to Here you, he and the rest of your life, you just have to stand by these cardboard cutouts of these things that resemble something that abducted you and experimented <laughs> on you. He's a mustachioed old man, and yeah, he is standing in front of a literal little green man wearing a blue ball cap. It's like a little alien uh, statue or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his that mustache was not in the movie. I have to say, I will say a good no. choice. <laughs> I can't imagine DB with a mustache. That's all I'm saying. Oh, we need to watch this documentary. It's called Travis, the true story of Travis Walton. Maybe that can be a bonus episode for the Patreon or something like that. <laughs> with, with, with an intriguing a title as intriguing as Travis. Uh, it's got a pretty cool uh, artwork of him being zapped up to a flying saucer, though. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I think... Um... Yeah, look, for, for, those, for those listeners who are interested, it's pretty easy to find interviews with Travis Walton on places like YouTube, or he's done a lot with various magazines and publications over the years. Mm-hmm. So he's he's not this sort of total enigmatic figure who you, you can't make head or tails of. Um, Mike Rogers, I, I don't think, has stayed such a public figure. I know he got divorced from his wife, who's depicted in the movie. I, I'm not really sure what's happened to him since. Um, I may even record a little addendum at the end of this episode after doing a bit more. But conversely, he's also not a um, public figure so in the same way as Travis, so I don't really want to um, go digging too much and invade the man's privacy or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, Travis Walton's abduction, not totally convinced it actually happened. Fire in the Sky, definitely recommend you watch it. Um, okay movie on the whole, um, excellent horror sequence. <laughs> yeah. Oof, yeah, it's up there. And great puppetry, underrated puppetry. Oh yeah, we haven't even, okay, so I saw someone describe the aliens out of their suits as looking like smooth Groot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, just, and, I really I think that absolutely can't unsee it now. So James Gunn just stole totally ideas yeah. from Fire in the Sky. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Imagine if Groot instead of being made of wood was made of, of skin, and it's yeah, it's, it's yeah, highly disturbing. And was also just mm. like unhappy looking all the time. Mm. Super grumpy. Their mm-hmm. faces they have little Very beady grumpy. eyes. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, you thought we had big black eyes. They're tiny. No, and they and move. Ve- but I, they move in such a. I found them really off-putting though, because they move in such a naturalistic way. I thought, and I was just yeah. like, "This is obviously not real." But like, I'm deeply upset by how these things are moving. And yeah, because the pu- yeah. puppet. I don't know who did the puppet. I was joking. It was the Henson Company. But <laughs> they, he did, good. and I said, "Really? <laughs> yeah." <laughs> she, the movie. She bought it. Yeah. Whoever did it is good. 
clearly. Our, um, our mutual friend, Adam, who, who's uh, Blake's co-host on Shelf Life, um, is a huge Jim Henson fan. Yeah. So I just love the idea of him, like, having one of these aliens in his house or something. <laughs> like, right it, it, right next to hor- a Kermit doll. Yeah, even if it horrified him, he's like, oh, it's, it's Henson, i got, I got to buy it, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, it has to, has to have the whole Muppet set. Yeah. <laughs> well i think that kind of uh wraps up our feelings on it but guys uh wh- what do you want to promote and uh and talk up before we go um i could go i want to promote uh my podcast network all of our podcast network i should say we all make it happen uh the ox of which we find transmissions as a part <laughs> right so the, the <laughs> podcast you're listening to right now is on the Ox Audio Network, uh, AUX. Um, we, if you want to support any of our podcasts and get uh, cool bonus stuff uh, for all of the podcasts, you can subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Audio. Um, I don't really think I have anything else other than listen to my myriad other podcasts, uh, Discord. It's called Discographology, a, a podcast I do about uh, I do with my band. We are a Midwestern rock band that talks about the great discographies. Um, and my uh, uh, comedy podcast about toy collecting and other nerdy pursuits um, that uh, Tom mentioned. It's called Shelf Life. Uh, I was going to say my my wife's podcast, but. But you can. Uh, so, I'm sorry. I'm just going to have to interrupt. The, can you say my wife? Correctly, oh, please? dang it, dang it! You you trapped me into it. Uh, <laughs> uh, my wife uh, has a podcast too. Why don't you tell the good people about it? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, the podcast is called "Are You There Pod." I think I touched on it briefly uh, at the beginning of the episode, but uh, our friend um, Joshua and Blake. Uh, well, he doesn't read them. He just makes uh, jokes. Well, what he thinks are jokes, while Josh and I do Ooh, not react to them most of the they're time. They're really good jokes, and they, <laughs> they hold in their laughter to try to troll me and, and to goad me. But, but uh, I think the listeners get the jokes. We cover... It's it's interesting. We'll be reading... You, you guys will be reading like a Goosebumps book, and Blake will just be like, but is the lead character... Are they hot or something? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> that's, what, like, that's what that's I'm most. What? <laughs> I'm most. I'm most interested in that that sort of thing. True. Uh, we, uh, but we usually cover. Uh, we read and discuss books from the 70s, 80s, 90s, um, focusing on the things that we remember reading as a child, or that I read that Josh never did. Um, so Naomi Klein, R.L. Stein, Point Horror, you know, all the, all the, all the, the hits, the greats. Babysitter's mm. Club, did you say that? Babysitter's Club. Uh, and Sweet Valley, Valley High. High. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh, Tom has been on an episode. He did a uh, episode on did, Say uh, Cheese and Die, which is a Goosebumps book by R.L. Stein. That was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I think we're releasing an episode this comes out in February. So um, by the time you hear this, the episode on My Sweet Audrina, uh, VC Andrews' book, will be out. And we are working <laughs> on love theme books for February. So we'll be doing um, a Fear Street Super Chiller and a- an episode with a bandmate of Blake's. 
um, called Good Rockin' Tonight, which I'm excited <laughs> about. So, And by good rockin', we mean sex. <laughs> well, I assume, well, or we'll not, have to but, see. We'll have uh, to see, well, guys. Yeah, tune, in, tune in and find out, guys. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, guys. I really appreciate it. And it's been such a pleasure. It's yeah. always such a pleasure talking with you guys. And, uh, you know, I think we uh, we started off talking about a, a fun little homespun movie and we went into some surprisingly into, well, <laughs> su- sur- surprisingly is not the best way to put it. We went into, right. we, we used Fire in the Sky's springboard to talk about some interesting stuff about the way the human psyche works in response to scientific versus fantastical thinking. Uh, sure. And uh, look, uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again soon and really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Anytime. Yeah. And listeners... Fun. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, as Blake said, if you want, go support the Patreon. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Instagram at, at Lupine Transmissions. And looking forward to hearing the next episode. Well, not hearing the next episode, recording the next episode for you very soon. And Tom, out. <laughs> <laughs> that, that should be... Just out. <laughs> Blake out. <laughs> <laughs>